Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today we need to talk about sin. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, well, not sin in your life or mine. Well, I don't know. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're keeping it pretty generic uh, yeah. now. <laughs> Let's not get too personal here. Uh, so, All right. I mentioned a few times I'm reading this book, Surprised by Hope, with my parents by N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting towards the end of the book. As I've mentioned before, I think he raises a lot of the same points of view and perspectives that you would embrace, particularly mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. He hasn't, in my opinion, delivered very well on always backing up his point of view in this book. I know he's a prolific writer and has done a whole bunch of stuff, but in terms of this book is like my first introduction to him as kind of a standalone piece. Right. It hasn't exactly... It, it, I don't feel like it's done a really great job on building a case for itself. So I don't know that I want to spend too much time there. I guess what I'm, I guess I'm leading with that by way of anyone that's hearing me talk about this book. I wouldn't discourage people from reading it, but I'm also not saying, wow, this is a five-star book. Everyone should go read it. It was amazing. It raised mm-hmm. some interesting ideas, but I didn't always find his presentation either to be crystal clear or Mm. um, I don't know that he did a really good job kind of like building his case. Sometimes I I got kind of lost. So the jumping off point there though is he's basically saying that in this book that the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form as opposed to any other form, Mm. that that kicks off the new creation and that and bringing about the kingdom of God and that um, it's only the beginning and that that gives us hope in this present age and yet, you know, there's more to come later. Mm-hmm. And in going that direction in the conversation I was having with my parents, it doesn't, he doesn't really talk about kind of what you have said in passing. I think it was episode 75 and a listener wrote us wrote in about this and took issue with your and i was thinking about later i wasn't sure if you were being uh, being sensational or not but you i think you said you know jesus didn't come to die for our sins did i get that right that didn't come to save us from our sins didn't come to save us from our sins and so thinking of that in light of this book by right there's a couple sections i could read here hold on hold on (laughs) right that that was that was one half of it okay the the other half of what was he came to inaugurate the kingdom of god okay and and within that there's saving from sin there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on also you don't completely okay i understood you to completely throw it out no not at all it's huge Oh, okay. Well, that, well, we're done for today then. No. <laughs> Have I straightened everything out? <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. Because I think in that episode, I think again, it was episode 75. Yeah, I don't... Okay. So I guess where I was going with this is 
you know, just doing a simple, um, what do I have here? I have a very old copy of Nave's topical Bible. Hmm. So I looked up sin and there's like, you know, verses coming out of my ears about how Jesus, um, came to save people from their sins and you know number of and then you know it's basically from the beginning to the of the gospels from the beginning of the new testament to the end of the old testament there are different references about Mm -hmm. jesus and sin and all that and so my question to you is going to be well how do you what do you do with all those verses and how yeah where do we go with all this yeah well no, I don't. I don't think that. Like you, you, you know, you, I, I always love it when when you're totally primed and ready for one of these conversations, because <laughs> John John pops in like a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven verses or, or sections, right? He, that he's 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 kind of. I just they it took me five minutes to find them. It was I didn't. Go I think totally. You, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you've got some great ones, right? Because you start off the book of Matthew. After you've got the genealogies, and the genealogies are, are really important, you know, and of course it's it starts off the very first bit of Matthew, an account of the genealogies of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I mean, that's an incredibly that's an incredibly forceful entry. And then you've got this part of port part in here where um yeah, from verse 20 to verse 22. But just when Joseph, he, Joseph, had resolved to do this, which is to, um, uh, to dismiss Mary quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, and this, is, this is in quotation marks, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's the end of the quotation mark. All this took place to fulfill the word that had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And I'll just read verse 23. Um, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So, you know, and this is just this, this is incredibly powerful stuff here. But, but. I think it's particularly powerful in the sense that this is tying back in, this reference to Jesus saving us from our sins is tying us back in to Exodus 24. It's tying us back in to um, laying out the covenant, this original agreement between God and the Israelites. You are special and you are different for these reasons, right? Because you are entering into this relationship with me. And so this kingdom of God notion is is not simply the fulfillment of the covenant, but the fulfillment of everything in the sense that all things are God's and God is reclaiming all things. God isn't just going to one small group and saying, through you, the nations of the world will be blessed, but this is really the blessing of all the world. And the blessing of all the world is in God, God's self, is in God being present, being near, being accessible, the way being open for right relationship. And that's huge. It's massive. So I'm not in any way saying that Jesus didn't, that part of what happened wasn't saving us from our sins, but in that very context, like in the very context of the beginning of Matthew, if we want to start there and look at it, 
there are these affirmations about who Jesus is. And even, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you look at it, right? Like, I'll, I'll read that again. I don't, don't know if that struck you. Well, while you're going back there, what I'm also wondering, and mm. this probably takes in this a completely different direction, but what what is sin? What does it mean? Yeah. And does it have the same meaning from one end of the Bible to the other? Because the sense I have from my past is it's it's every possible bad thing you've done or it's not being in right relationship with God, or any number of different things. And so, I don't know, maybe we need to go a level deeper on that to say, okay, well, what exactly is this? So that we're making sense of the whole thing. Sure, um, I hear you. I think that's really a, a good point. I'm going to try to do part of that by, by coming back to this and drawing these two things together that I just read. Okay. Okay, so she will bear a son. This is verse 21. I'm going to read through verse 23, but the two parts that conjoin here and that contrast are the naming, the naming, right? She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. I'm reading from the NRSV. This is Matthew 1 verses 21 to 23. Uh, to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and this is the uh, citation of uh, Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So what, so in this tension between you will call him Jesus, because he will save us from, from, from their sins. And they will call him Emmanuel because God is with us, right? These two things go together. Jesus is acting to do what? To bring in the kingdom of God by doing what? By fulfilling the covenant, by living as, as, as the, the life that the, the Judean people were meant to live, by bearing that curse, and if they're no longer under that curse, they're forgiven. In order that what can happen? That this God who is with us, that this Emmanuel is with all of us. Right? This, these, these two things go very intimately together. So I guess what I would say is, and I mean, we've talked about this before, from my perspective, sins, the, sin is, is, is a barrier between me and God. Right? God puts up no barriers between from God to me. I throw up a lot of barriers from me to God. You know? So the relationship, the possibility of having relationship with God open to all people has been opened through Jesus, who has what lived as uh the Judean people had covenanted, had agreed to live. He fulfilled the covenant. He then took on those covenant curses. He died. On a cross, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. He was in, essentially in that way deemed or viewed to be cursed. He bore that and he opened the way through his death for the promise that it was initially made to Abraham in the beginning of Genesis uh, 12 
to be realized that Abraham should be a blessing to all people through his seed, through his offspring. So what does this look like on a personal level for you? Like, how do you, on a daily basis, do you, like, ask forgiveness for your sins? And, like, how does Jesus fit in with that? And what what's yeah. it look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, I do. I do ask forgiveness for those things that... And I and I I try to think a lot too about what I'm doing, you know, so that I don't end up doing things that are going to throw up obstacles between me and God. That that's the last thing I want to do. And I think some of the major life choices that I've made, you know, um, when my spouse and I were separated, I began to understand that in the particular configuration of our separation. I had to come back together. This was not a separation that my spouse was walking away from and, you know, she wasn't washing her hands of me, that she was completely changing her her attitude. And, and, you know, there were things that I needed to change too, but the first thing I needed to change was my mind, my realization. And in light of that, a part of a big contribution to that happening was me realizing I can't make any choice I want to on this one. I just can't do that. Will God still love me regardless of what I do? Yes. Will I be able to relate to God in the same way, just as well, with everything firing on just as many cylinders, if you like, regardless of what I choose? No way. My choices matter. Can my choices throw up significant and long-term boundaries to my relationship, my ability to relate well to God, I believe so. And, you know, in Christian terms, we call that sin. Oftentimes what gets confusing, I think, for a lot of people, and what ends up bogging a lot of people down, is that they don't make the connection. Sin's just stuff God doesn't want me to do. Well, okay, why? Why doesn't God want you to do that? And and if, if there's a why not, why does God then want you to to do certain other things? So what's the big picture here? The big picture is God loves us desperately and is, is, is seeking us and continues to seek relationship, right relationship with us, out of which we should have or develop right relationship with ourselves, with our fellows, with the, with the kind of created world around us. So, you know, when we see sin as just a list of things we do wrong, we are totally missing the boat. And this is typically what I think happens when we people say, well, you know, God's here to save me from my sins. God's here to save me from all the things I do where I mess up or I'm a jerk or whatever. And on the one hand, there's truth to that, right? But on the other hand, what, what Jesus is seeking, what God is seeking is right relationship with you. You know, and this gets kind of blurred in many different ways. You have Luther saying things like, you know, sin and sin boldly. Well, okay, when you're faced with the Catholic Church's perspective back in the um, 16th century, I agree with Luther in that specific sense. In other words, don't think that if you do, you make one wrong step, it's all over. No. But on the other hand, if you're dealing with a love relationship, the la- and, and, and you realize that by acting in certain ways, you put distance between yourself and your beloved, you're not going to want to do those things. Don't sin. Don't sin at all. You know, don't, don't do that. And we talked a little while ago, 
some episodes back, maybe it was in the 70s or 60s, about this book, Three Free Sins. And it kind of follows along with Luther's... Um, <laughs> Is that Steve Brown? I think so, yeah. I, I, I picked to, up the book. <laughs> I used to listen to him. He's, he's entertaining to an extent. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, that that again is this idea, and I think what's happening here again, I would put this under this 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 notion of we have two rubrics, right, or two two headings. One heading is God is sovereign; the other is God is parent. God is parent, you know. Or, or let's start with sovereign. God is sovereign. I I do things that are wrong. I mess up. You know, there are wrongs and rights, and I am messing up on those. And 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 part of what I need to do is realize, hey, you know what, Greg, you, you're out of line. God is parent. God will never let me go. God will. God will continue to seek me. So right? and I don't want to. I don't want to divide it into like God's um, uh, schizophrenic. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that, right? I'm just trying to maybe oversimplify in these two major realms. How does Jesus relate to this for you? Like, does is it is it an experiential thing, or is it more of an intellectual? Well, the Bible says that this is why Jesus came and this is what he did and this was the result and so that's why it's a good thing well i think there's the theory which is you know the kind of um what's laid out in 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 the new testament and explained there and that gives me a lot of theory but in terms of what actually happens no i think it's quite personal quite experiential you know i can i can think of times where like I say, I mean, these, these are major events. These are major life events. You know, doing doing one thing, you know, I don't know. Well, I'll choose something small. This is going to seem big, but compared to the other things I've got in my back pocket, it's very small. <laughs> but, you know, I realized just, I don't know when, like really recently, like last six months, I have an anger problem. Never would have figured it before. I do. I've got an anger problem. And... I realize too that when I give into it, it doesn't solve it. When I give into it and express the anger in, in, you know, not even like something that, like if, if I yell, that would be giving into it for me. I don't sort of get physically violent or, or like abusive. But even if I, if I start raising my voice, it doesn't help. It doesn't work. And it begins to create a mentality in me that, that, that short circuits my resilience towards renewing the relationship where the anger has been caused. Now that I would say, if you want to put that in Christian terms, that's sin. That's the effect of making a wrong choice such that my ability to relate rightly is, is, is muted. Right? And so I keep that in mind. It doesn't always work. I don't always, you know, not raise my voice. But I try to find other ways and I try to, you know, not get carried away. So that, that's one sort of situation. And, and you know, you, hopefully as human beings, we're watching these things. We're saying, okay, you know what? This didn't go too well. I didn't like how this turned out. I didn't feel very good about this. And we start asking ourselves some questions. So what happened there? How have I seen this happening before? What do I think I could do about this to change it? How could I have responded differently? You know, and I, I think what I'm seeing consistently through my life is that the areas where 
I am making calls that I think are questionable. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, gee, I feel like getting pissed off and yelling at somebody today. Like I'm legitimately in a tough spot. My back's up against the wall in some situation or other. Or I'm uber frustrated about this or that thing that we must have gone through who knows how many times. And Or somebody's made an arrangement with me and they break the deal and it, it costs me a lot, you know? Usually I'm talking an emotional cost, a heavy emotional cost. But still, I, I, I look at these things and I see, you know what, this just, this is evidence in my life of something not working out the right way. And this, I would say, is evidence that I don't want to be acting in ways that throw up barriers. So how close am I heading to what you were looking for? Um, Come back, push the point. Yeah, no, no, I think you are. I mean, I didn't really know what you were going to say, so I... <laughs> or in other words, I didn't have any, I didn't have a specific expectation of what you were going to say or not say. I think I was wondering, you know, people talk about being in love with Jesus and knowing Jesus. And so I'm just kind of wondering, like, does that play in? Do you relate to that? And does that play into this topic? Well, yeah, I think it plays in a lot. I relate to that idea. You know, I would say I am a Christian because I've been convinced by the truthfulness and the, the kind of the, the, the truth value of the truth claims being met and being more than met by the truth value. So, but I would say that the belief, the way that I live my life and the orientation and kind of the intensity I have are partly, mostly because, you know, I feel like I would characterize it as I've fallen in love with God. You know, and that's a big notion that we people uh, use all the time without unpacking it and out def- without defining it. And I certainly realize that that's, you know, something that may seem completely nebulous. Um, but... I think the idea of knowing God, loving God, are are really key to this. Because if, if this is just about, and this is again where I think we totally lose track of things when we see this whole idea of sin. It's just like, oh, here's stuff I'm not supposed to do. Why is that? Oh, because God will get angry with me. No, that's the wrong idea. You've missed the point. Like something's not, and it's not just that you've missed the point. This isn't just an intellectual thing. I'm not getting mad at somebody because they're slow or because they've, they've just got, you know, half the information they should have. But the whole nature of their relationship seems off kilter, right? And then we're, as Christians, we're often perpetuating this. We're, we're sort of vouching for this off kilter relationship and saying, here's this great thing. And that, that's where my frustration gets really high with, with, with fellow Christians. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like this is ridiculous. This God that you're pretending that you're 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 claiming to be, you know, the Christian God. There's some huge, huge problems with this. No wonder people who aren't Christians say, "No, thank you. I'm not interested. Who wants this?" But isn't that? But in, when you think about the Old Testament, I'm not thinking any particular place per se, but kind of the overall vibe there is you know when you do this thing that you're not supposed to do you've got to sacrifice an animal or do this mm-hmm. ritual to make it right mm-hmm. and in some of those senses it does kind of seem like god's angry when those things happen so is yeah. is that sin and and you know when does it all 
change and like well yeah i mean i it i think that the, the history of the origin of the the kind of the, the israelites as a people um you know post exodus is is incredibly telling for some of the things you're referring to you know they just make it out and and they're they're you know moses is up there for uh too long in everybody else's minds and and they say hey let's 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 make a golden calf that we can worship let's make an image of this 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 god and um yeah there there is a lot of um you know Yahweh responds to this in a very powerful way i'm going to wipe these people out this is ridiculous you know i've just gone through this whole exercise with these folks and they are not even on the right page here they they can't even figure this out you know they 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 just can't even be faithful in the in the in the least sense so but I, I think too, and you you have to put that in an ancient Near Eastern context. Like the whole sacrificial system for me is also, I mean, it's at best it's strange, and at worst it's utterly barbaric, you know. And yet this is the way the world was at that time. This is the deal that was made, you know. Um, this is part of how that covenant or deal or arrangement between God and the Israelites was to be upheld. Um, signified, uh, mended when it went off course. You know, and going off course means making a mistake. It doesn't mean rejecting it outright, which is part of the problem that we have, right? Exile resulted from outright rejection. So you have these these stunningly powerful, like extraordinarily powerful verses in Isaiah. Um, uh, here, I'll just go to one of them in Isaiah 5 verses 18 through even just 20. You, oh, you who drag iniquity along with cords of falsehood, who drag sin along as with carts, with cart ropes, who say, let, let him make haste, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel hasten to fulfillment that we may know it. Oh, you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So there's this huge, huge sort of rejection outright wholesale rejection. There's no plan in the covenant for dealing with that. That's, you, <laughs> you, you can't have a deal, utterly reject the deal, and then say, oh yeah, I'm trying to fix the deal. That's utterly, that's just a lie. You're not trying to fix the deal, right? And so you've got this situation where uh, the Jews are exiled. That's part of, the, part of the whole picture. You will be thrown out of the land and you will be rejected in a, you know, from, from this this place and and in a certain sense they're still in exile in the new testament times and this is where jesus really you know uh comes in renews what can't be renewed under the covenant's terms and makes things kind of whole but not only for the not only for the israelites but, but for for everyone else this this huge kind of thunderclap um you know this this i guess this quote unquote so much more than could be expected right and what do you think, go ahead. What do you think? Sin, so, in that particular verse that you just read, what does sin mean in that verse? Is it the same meaning that we've been talking about, or is this something slightly different? Yeah, but I think it's gotten to the point. You see, this is part of this this whole situation where I can have significant long term effects on who I am, how I'm able to relate to God, and therefore how I relate to myself, to others, and to my world. 
right? These are people, I mean, you're calling darkness light and light darkness. You're calling evil good and good evil. You're calling bittersweet. You're, you're reversing the, the whole layout that's been given to you. And of course, th- these, these uh, you know, reversals, these 180s that are being described in this verse are in the context of the Judean people with God. So in other words, in terms of how you're dealing with the covenant, you say you're doing right when in fact you're doing wrong. You say you're honoring others when you are dishonoring them. You say that you are upholding the law when you are, when you are breaking it and finding more ways to break it. And so... Yeah, I think that's sin. I think that's wrong. I think that's breaking relationship with God. And I think that's the type of thing that has some significant long-term consequences. You can't just sort of walk into that. Um, you you can't inhabit that mindset and then say, oh, you know, wake up the next day. And, oh, yeah, that, that was a mistake. I, I'm going to fix all that. I see the mistake and, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of I'm going to make things right. I'm, I'm going to kind of turn around. Uh, in other words, I, I think that the, the, in other words, like meta, uh, the Greek for repentance, uh, metanoeo, uh, metanoeo, something like that, um, is um, literally a changing of one's mind, right? And so there's there's a there's a sense in which repentance is is both the act of thinking differently, but there's also this kind of notion of renewal that we need to be renewed. And it's not just all about us, right? This is this is God acting. This is God empowering us to make better choices. God um, revealing better possibilities to us, and us, you know, having to step by step kind of choose these things. So, I don't think I'm getting to the, what are you what are you driving at for though with your question about is it the same now versus then? Well, what are we going for? Well, in other words. The usage of sin in the context of that verse is it the same context that we were talking about when we started talking today? Is it the same type of thing, or does it have a slightly different meaning there? See, I, I think I think it's I think it's an awful lot the same. I'll, I'm going to read a just okay. couple more I'm, verses. I'm, I don't have a position either way. I was just I'm just curious. Well, this, I mean, some of the stuff here that follows after this, it's. You who, oh, you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight. You who are heroes in mixing wine and valiant at mixing drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of their rights. You know, and then it goes on a couple verses later. I'll just, I'll just read it. Therefore, as the tongues of fire devour the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will, be, will become rotten and their blossom will go up like dust. For they have rejected the instruction of the Lord of hosts, and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So, you know, there's some really tangible things. You're acquitting people who are guilty because they're bribing you. You're denying those who are innocent and maybe uh, oppressed of justice. And why does this happen? Because they've, re- they've rejected the instructions they've been given. They've rejected the laws and the commandments and the ways of relating to God and to, the, to each other that are comprised within the covenant. And thus, that sin, yes, separation, and that those things are separating them from God. Yes, 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 yes. But, okay. but, but, but put it in the New Testament context. What are the greatest? What, what you know? What are the greatest commandments? Love God with all you have. Love your neighbor likewise. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. I would say love yourself and love your neighbor likewise, because the one precedes the other. But in that context, then. Sin is very much 
thwarting your ability to love God rightly. This is exactly what I'm saying, right? In this New Testamental context, it's, it's, it's not about not eating shellfish and not eating pork and not eating these other things. And we can go on and talk about, you know, why those may or may not have been reasonable things to associate with a law that relates to a divinity. You know, some of those seem outlandish to our, you know, modern sensibilities. But, but suffice it to say that there, there, there is, on the one hand, Jesus was summarizing the old, what was there, right? Love God entirely. Love yourself rightly. Love your neighbor likewise. And yet, you know, again, at the core, we don't have, as, as, a, as, a, as a new covenantal people, those who relate to God under the new covenant through Jesus, we don't have a whole bunch of stipulations about shellfish and pork and whatever, right? That's just not part of things. And that I would see as being, you know, very much tied up with an ancient context and particularly an ancient Near Eastern context. But this whole emphasis on loving God, loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, loving our, you know, being good stewards of our world, that, that is still there. And so that's exactly, I think, what happens. We break our ability and diminish our ability to do those things rightly. We even, you know, as in this verse in Isaiah, we become blinded to the right ways of doing things and we substitute wrong ways when we fail to engage with God properly. And that's what I would call sin. Is that the perfect ending? Could be. <laughs> How satisfied are you with that on a scale of one to ten? Well, well, this is how this stuff goes. Right now, I'm a ten, but you know, tomorrow something else will pop <laughs> into my head. I'm like, wait a minute, or or I'll talk to someone else and say, and and they'll yeah be like, yeah, but what about this and what about that? What about this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that sounds fair. You can't you can't hope for better than a ten. No. I thought you were going to say six, so I'm pretty pleased. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I don't know. This is my whole struggle with all this stuff. I talk to you and it makes sense. Mm. And I talk to my parents and it makes sense. I talk to other people and it makes sense. And yet, why, why don't I have this love relationship with God that you have? And what... <laughs> Mm. what's what's the you know it's that age-old question well i've kind of given up asking it which is you know what's the missing piece i don't even know what i don't even know if there's a piece or if there's like a whole mountain of pieces that i'm just gonna gather them one by one and it will take the rest of my life what do you mean though that it makes sense and yet you're talking about relationship with god how does that play in? In other words, the way you explain sin and separation from God, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, mm, okay, yeah, but I don't, I don't have this experience in my life of like, oh, I was a, I was a jerk to that person or whatever, and, um, wow, I, I really can feel that that's really separated me from God, hmm. or that, wow, I'm, I really distanced myself from God because of this thing I did. I don't feel those things. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder... I wonder a lot of times, though, if... if, And I'm... 
I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, I wonder if a lot of times the issue is that the conception we have of God, that conception itself is the kind of uh, lens and overriding kind of guide to how we understand, how we read the Bible, how we understand these concepts. And so on the one hand, you're right, there's an experiential reality, but that experiential reality for me has brought about a different lens because I've been a Christian twice in my in my counting. You know, like I was a Christian. I was not a Christian for seven years, and I'm a Christian again. And I have a very different lens now than I had back then. And I can un- I understand why things didn't work for me back then, why, you know, I was overwhelmed by some of the difficulties that occurred, and, and why ultimately my, my belief uh, failed because I... Uh, it wasn't just about me going to a church that was dysfunctional. It was me being a highly dysfunctional person. And in that, necessarily, I needed a dysfunctional God. Because that dysfunctional God perpetuated my view of myself as dysfunctional. So I'm not saying that you're dysfunctional. No, I might be. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I you problem. might be, right? I don't but have I, a problem with that. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that. I, I am saying that I think that there are, there is... Something's broken somewhere. You something is it. broken somewhere in evangelical Christianity on a large scale. I, 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 I believe that, right? And we've talked about these kind of issues with credibility and issues with, um, you know, lack of credibility with those outside of the church alienating those inside the church and so many of the the our, our respondents and, and dialogue partners on the podcast are people who've experienced that. You know, I just don't I think we're 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 the tables aren't even, right? The 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 scales have not been evenly weighted. So when you say he says this and it sounds good and she says this and it sounds good and Greg says this and it sounds good and you know how do I choose? And I would just think, well, I think that there is I think that all of the components, you know, how we inter, how we, how we live our lives, uh, the the kind of coherence of our our, our views, uh, you know, how they sort of play out with real life and make sense internally. And then I think there's a particular vision, you know, like part of it is who, part of the, the big debate that was going on in the in the Gospels. Is Jesus had a particular vision of the gospel of God that that the Pharisees and the religious leaders did not share, and they said God is like this, and Jesus said no, God is like that. And I think this thing still goes on very much today. We all use the same words, but the meanings we attribute to them, the 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 the, the weight we hang on different words or different notions, like sin, carries so much more of a of a of a, of a so much more weight for some people than it does for others, right? And I think all of this has to be played out and, and measured out. And ultimately, you know, I think, like you said, that's, the, that's a long-term commitment. That's a lifetime's worth of work. But I don't know, I hope I've clarified something rather than just... No, I think you have. I think, I think you have. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity Podcast. 
Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.